All right, if I can ask you to please uh, take your seats. It's so good to hear the, uh, the chatter of everybody so excited. We'll have you please uh, sit down and um, I'd like to invite Alexandra to please read the word of God to us for the uh, message preached today. We're going to begin in Genesis 1, starting at verse 26 to 28. Then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them. And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. Now we're going to jump to Genesis 2. I'm going to read verse 5 and verse 15. When no bush of the field was yet in the land, and no small plant of the field had yet sprung up, for the Lord God had not caused it to rain on the land, and there was no man to work the ground. And now verse 15. The Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and keep it. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, good morning. My name is Stephen, and I'm one of the pastoral interns here on staff. Thanks, Daniel. <laughs> Appreciate that. Uh, and we're so glad that we can just uh, see you guys here to worship uh, our Lord God this Sunday. Now, as, as we've all been uh, hearing, Brian mentioned it, um, and uh, the worship team, Haley, I believe she also mentioned it, that we are transitioning into a new series starting today on faith and work. And the goal of today's sermon is to introduce this topic according to the biblical framework of what work means for us in our day-to-day -day lives. And to help us understand this, we'll be looking at two points, the design of work and the renewal of work. So let's start with our first point for today, the design of work. Now, whenever we talk about work, a common story among many of us perhaps is best captured by this story of our imaginary friend named Jill. This is Jill. On a common workday, she begins her work early in the day, and she depends heavily on some kind of caffeine to get her through all the morning emails and all the morning meetings that she has. And oftentimes, she doesn't even have time for lunch because she's so packed with back-to-back -back meetings. And by the time five o'clock hits, she's famished, and she doesn't have any more energy in her tank to cook food, so she orders food. But when the food arrives, she receives a notification on her phone, and it's a notification from work. And so what does she do? She puts down her food, opens her work laptop, and goes away to work for another hour. And in that time, her food gets cold. And the next day, her boss actually ends up taking all of the credit for her hard work and doesn't even show her an ounce of appreciation. And while all of that is happening, the significant others in her life, they're telling her, hey, we feel like you're not really giving us your, your, your priority. We feel like we're getting your leftover time. But Jill, she can't help it because work is so demanding and it's so consuming 
that it takes up her entire schedule and her entire life. The story of Jill brings us to our main question for today. Why does work seem so important in our lives? You know, even though it's just a job, why does it seem to matter so much to us? And the answer that I'd like to propose is this, that work is so important because there's inherent dignity in the work that we do. Now follow with me as we turn our attention to the Bible. When we open up the first page of the Bible, actually the very first line, the first sentence of the Bible, it begins like this. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. So right from the start, we see that God is mentioned as a God who creates, as a God who works. And so work has always been an essential aspect of the created order. It was never meant to be a bad thing. In fact, work was always intended and it was always designed to be a good thing. When we look at our passage for today from Genesis 1:26, God says, "Let us make man in our image, after our likeness, and let them have dominion." Notice Notice how mankind is specifically created in the image of God. That means you and I are image bearers of the living God. We're not like the rest of creation. We're not like plants. We're not like the other animals. This is a characteristic that distinctly sets us apart from the rest of creation. And it gives us tremendous dignity as we bear the image of the creator God himself. But that's not all, because our dignity as God's image bearers, it comes when we work. It comes as we work. And we see this in the second half of verse 26, when God says, let them have dominion over all creation. As image bearers of God, we're given the task of ruling over God's creation as his own representatives. In fact, to exercise dominion, This is no small task. It's a royal task that's fitting for a sovereign or a king. And in the eyes of God, all of mankind, all of humanity is called to this highest order of office simply by virtue of the fact that we have been made after the image of our God and our king. And so there's great dignity in our existence and in our purpose when God commands us to rule, to subdue, to have dominion over all of creation. Continuing on to verse 28, we see this theme as God says, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over all of it. In other words, that's what that's saying is that we are to fulfill our role as God's image bearers by helping to build up our civilization, to fill the earth, to care for all that God has made through the cultivation of the arts, the sciences, the businesses. I mean, that's what it really means to rule as God's representatives. We're supposed to care for the flourishing and for the growth of all of God's creation as if it were our very own. That means whether we're cashing someone out at the grocery line, 
teaching students online or in class, whether we're working at the front lines in the hospitals, innovating new ideas as entrepreneurs, meeting with clients, taking care of our young ones at home, there is no job that's too great or too small to fit within the dignity as God's image bearers of doing His work. In other words, the dignity of work, it doesn't come from the title of our jobs, but rather the dignity of work comes from the calling of our jobs to care for God's creation and to contribute to the growth of our culture and our society. And here are a few examples of what that looks like. By cashing someone out at the grocery line, you're playing an essential role in making sure that customer's well-being is met and taken care of since everybody needs to buy food. By teaching students, you're contributing to the cultivation of our future young men and women who will become our leaders, who will, who will help shape our society. By innovating new ideas as entrepreneurs, you're contributing to the flourish, flourishing of our culture in the area of our arts, sciences, and business. This, this is the design of work. And there's great dignity and great responsibility that God has given to us to see to the cultivation of our city here. And that's why work is so important in our lives. But the immediate question that comes up is this. If that's really what the design of work is, the original design of work is that, that there's great dignity in it, then why is work so difficult and so hard in our lives today? And that brings us to the reality and the problem in the toil of work that we experience. In Genesis 3, we see that the fall of humanity takes place as Adam and Eve deliberately choose to disobey a direct command from God, thereby turning away from the very source of dignity and life itself. And because of this act of disobedience, sin has caused work to become a painful toil which completely disrupts, it destroys it distorts the original design of work. And the toil of work means that our jobs today have become extremely hard, extremely exhausting, difficult. And isn't this something that all of us can relate to today? Here are some examples of how work can be a toil. We receive stress from being mistreated by our managers, by our colleagues, by our clients. And in this way, we toil away at work as we experience the breakdown of relationships in our workplace. For others, we work long hours and we're underappreciated for all the hard work that we put in. And in this way, we toil away as we experience the breakdown in our identity at work for not being valued or appreciated. For those of us who are in school, studying can be a grind. With back-to-back -back assignments, exams, projects, and more exams, and more projects, and it just never seems to end. And in that way, we toil away in our pursuit for competency that comes from our level of education, 
or the amount of degrees that we get to have on our resumes to help us find a place in this society. And how can I not mention the moms and the dads at home raising their kids? I mean, talk about overtime work. This is a 24-7 commitment that pushes us to our very limits. And in that way, we toil as we experience the breakdown of our inability to find proper physical, mental, or emotional rest. In all of this, if we ask ourselves, what drives us to toil away day in and day out? The immediate answer is the necessity of it, to pay the bills, to advance in our careers, to raise our families. But I wonder, I wonder if we ever find ourselves getting lost in our jobs and actually becoming defined by the very jobs in which we're toiling away. In fact, in our society today, don't our jobs define who we are and where we're headed in our lives? For example, when we meet people for the first time, aren't these our two usual immediate questions? Hey, what's your name? And what do you do? Now, don't get me wrong. Those questions are not wrong. They're not bad questions. I mean, I ask them all the time. I, I ended up asking them today as well. But aren't these questions quite telling about how we link someone's identity to what they do for work as we ask, what's your name and what do you do? You see, with the fall of humanity, our personal relationship that we had with God was completely broken and it was completely shattered. And with nowhere else to look, we started turning to ourselves and to our own work, our own endeavors to try to replace that missing purpose, that missing dignity, that missing worth that originally came from our relationship with God. So we work and we toil away day in and day out. But no matter how hard we try, it just never seems to be enough to fill that emptiness that was once occupied by God himself. As a matter of fact, there's no amount of work that, can pos- that we can possibly do to replace the identity, the p- to replace the worth that comes from our deep relationship with our Heavenly Father. And so we continue to work and work and toil away. But the good news, the good news is this, that there is one individual in all of history who is fully man and fully God, whose work was enough to forgive us of our sins and to reconcile our broken relationship with God. And his name is Jesus Christ. He worked and he toiled away for us as he was mocked, as he was ridiculed, he was spit at, He was stricken, he was punished, he was ultimately crucified and killed on a cross for all to see as a laughing spectacle. You see, because of our sins, we deserve that. 
We deserve that. We were the ones who broke that relationship with God. We deserve that punishment. But it is Christ who toils in our place as the King of heaven, the Son of God, hung on a cross, forsaken by all of his loved ones, forsaken by the heavenly Father himself as he cries out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? This, this Grace Toronto is Christ who died in the place of our sins so that we would be made righteous, so that we would be reconciled back to God. Even though we were the first ones who turned away from God, God is the first one to show us his love by sending his son, Jesus Christ, to die for our sins. That's the work that Christ does for us on the cross. And when Christ says, it is finished, that means it was finished. It is done. There's no more work that we have to put in. There's no more toil that we have to put in any longer to find our identity, our meaning, our worth. It now comes from a restored relationship with God that we experience in Christ as we're eternally loved, valued, and wanted by God himself. Nothing, nothing, excuse me, nothing can replace that worth that we have as a precious child of God. And so if in Christ, our relationship with God, our identity, our meaning, our purpose is restored, then how does that change our attitude and our approach to work? And to answer this, we have to turn back to our text to see how God had originally designed work to be in relationship with him before it was disrupted and destroyed by sin. And that brings us to our final point for today, the renewal of work. When we look at Genesis 2-5, we see um, when no bush of the field was yet in the land and no small plant of the field had yet sprung up, for the Lord God had not caused it to rain on the land, and there was no man to work the ground. We go to two, chapter 2, verse 15. The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and keep it. The profound reality of work is that it was always intended to be done in partnership, in relationship with God. And it is the Lord who brings the rain, but it is mankind who works the ground. And when we actually look at the Hebrew meaning of the word work, it actually means to serve or to honor. So if we put that all together, we see that this partnership we have in helping to care for and helping to cultivate God's creation then becomes a means of serving and worshiping our God. That's the renewed definition of work that we have. And because of that, there comes a paradigm shift in our framework and our own approach to our workplace. You see, we worship God not only on Sundays, but we also worship God during the rest of the week in our work. 
Let me repeat that again. We worship God not only on Sundays, but we also worship God during the rest of the week in our work. Colossians 3, 23 to 24 says the following, whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward, for you are serving the Lord Christ. When we come to see and when we come to understand that work is ultimately worship to God, it really changes the way that we do our jobs. Pastor Tim Keller of Redeemer Church recalls of a particular encounter that he had with an individual in the book that Brian mentioned earlier, Every Good Endeavor. And this is a story that I wanted to share with us because I think it really illustrates well what happens when we invite God back into our sphere of work. This is what he recalls in his story. Not long after we began our new church in New York City, I saw a young woman who was obviously visiting and darting out after each service. So one week, I intercepted her. She told me she was exploring Christianity, but she didn't believe it at that point. But she did find a lot of it interesting. I asked her how she had found Redeemer, and she told me the story. She worked for a company in Manhattan, and not long after starting there, she made a big mistake that she thought would cost her the job. But her boss went in to his superior and took complete responsibility for what she had done. And as a result, he lost some of his reputation and his ability to maneuver within the organization. She was amazed at what he had done and went in to thank him. She told him that she had often seen supervisors take credit for what she had accomplished, but she had never seen a supervisor take the blame for something she had done wrong. She wanted to know what made him different, and he was very modest and deflected her questions, but she was insistent. Then finally, he told her, I'm a Christian. That means, among other things, that God accepts me because Jesus Christ took the blame for things that I have done wrong. He did that on the cross. That is why I have the desire and sometimes the ability to take the blame for others. You see, the work of Christ renews our approach, our entire approach to our own work. For it is in Christ that we gain this immense power to break free from our endless toil of allowing work to define who we are. And it is in Christ that we experience this freedom, this breath of fresh air, as we rediscover our great worth and our great dignity in God's love for us. And because of this, our motivation, our drive to do work, shifts from an inward focus to an outward focus, where work becomes a means of expressing our love and expressing our worship back to God. And so what does that all mean for us in our lives today? Well, for starters, we are to ask ourselves why we do the work that we do. For those of us who are still seeking, 
and exploring Christianity, we begin by reevaluating the purpose and the identity that we find in our work. Is it really worth all the toiling, all the hardship? Or could we possibly be looking in the wrong place this entire time? If this is something that resonates with you, look to Christ. Look to his work on the cross for you today. Find your purpose, your dignity, and your worth in being loved, wanted, and accepted by God. Look to Christ today. And for those who are Christ followers, remember the work of Christ each morning before we begin our jobs. May Christ become that source of power for us that drives us in all of the work that we do. This means that Christ is the one who renews our relationships with our managers, our colleagues, our clients, because we've experienced a restored relationship with God and being recipients of such grace, of such love, we are able to find the power in Christ to reciprocate that grace, reciprocate that love back to those around us at work. Christ is the one who renews our identity at work, even when we're underappreciated and overworked because we know how much we're valued and we're loved by Christ who went the full distance to lay down his life for us. Or the next time we feel like we're just running on empty fumes because of the sheer physical and the mental and the emotional exhaustion that we experience from the toil of work, be strengthened by Christ who says to us, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. As we bring Christ back into our sphere of work, that's when work truly becomes an outward expression of our love and our worship to God. And this, Grace Toronto, this is the renewal of work that's been made possible through the work of Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you so much for the work that you've done for us on the cross and the way that you have toiled away You suffered for our sins and you died for our sins so that we would be restored back to our relationship with God so that our sins would be forgiven and so that we will be able to experience the fullest, the deepest value of being loved and wanted by you. Lord, we pray that this may become a truth and a reality in our lives today that becomes an outflow in our workplaces. And by doing so, may our work be a worship to you. This we pray in Christ's name. Amen. I got Q&A. Okay, at this time, um, we'll be doing a uh, couple Q&A questions. So bear with me as I go through some of them. Okay. First question. Hi. Hi. <laughs> How can we find the right balance with our relationship with work and God when the pressure of the current secular world values, oh, 
when the pressure of the current secular world values so much work, especially during the pandemic, when we feel the pressure of wanting to prove ourselves and are afraid of getting fired or laid off? What is the right balance between our relationship with work and God? Whoever asked this question, thank you, because I think this is a question that applies to all of us here, and it's such a great question. There's the reality, I guess I should look at the camera a little bit more in case it's uh, someone there. There's the reality that we could get laid off. And with the pandemic, um, with COVID, unfortunately, that has been the reality uh, of unemployment, of being laid off. And so there is definitely that fear and there's definitely the importance of working in such a way where um, we work as the best workers we can possibly be in our position. We are to be competent workers. And so in that way, we are to work hard. By working hard, I'd like to uh, just gently remind you again that we're not doing it for ourselves, but we're truly doing it for the Lord. But even in that, there comes a point where we need to know where we draw the line, where too much work, where, where too much becomes too much work, and it takes away from our relationship with God. And I think it really does begin Uh, with a heart check to see where we are with the Lord today, how we're spending time with the Lord, how we are with the relationships that we have, the significant relationships we have in our lives, our significant others, our family members, are we neglecting them for the purpose of work? Is work overtaking that? Is work overtaking our relationship with God, our relationship with others? And if it is, then perhaps that may be a point where we do a heart check and we reevaluate where are my priorities? Is it in my fear of the Lord that we talked about in uh, the past series of Proverbs? Or is it out of my fear of becoming unemployed? And that's not to take away from the fear of unemployment, but also I'd like to counter that uh, balance with um, faith. That as Christians, as Christ followers especially, we are called to live by faith and not by sight. And sometimes living by faith means learning where to draw the lines and say, you know what, I got to prioritize my relationship with God and my family and my significant others. And the rest, I trust the Lord that he will guide and establish my steps. Um, That's a great question. If you want to talk more, please email me. Uh, For any of the other questions as well, please email me at stephen at gracetoronto.ca. Next question. Uh, Oh, sorry, this is a follow-up question to a question that was asked. Um... I apologize, I can't find that question right now. So I will uh, read this next one. Is it right for a Christian to continue to work in highly secular environments that are advancing liberal agendas that our faith doesn't agree with? Great question as well. (laughs) That's a really good one too, especially living in Toronto. Um, I think this is a question that... um, I'd like to dive a little more deeply into um, outside of this Q&A session uh, through an email or maybe we can meet up for coffee or go for a walk or some kind of Zoom call. But a quick starting point I'd like to begin or start us off with is, once again, it does come back to our values of where we stand. Like where do we find our identity and our purpose and our worth? Do we find that dignity out of a relationship with God? Do we find that to be the starting point 
for which our purpose now becomes to care for God's creation, to care for the growth of the cultivation of our culture. We're supposed to be the front. Uh, we're supposed to be on the front lines of making sure our culture continues to grow in such a way that advances God's kingdom, that uh, continues to display the glory and the love of God. And so, how can we be that kind of influence in the positions that we're in? And that comes, that brings us to the hard question of, well, what do we do in this particular situation? And it's unfortunate there is no black and white answer that the Bible says, okay, in this case, do case A or B. It's, it does come down to a step of faith that you take once again. But for this as well, please, I'd love to connect with you uh, to discuss more about that. And um, the last question. Yes. What would you say to someone struggling with unemployment or who's unable to work because of immigration status. The immigration status is something that I can definitely relate with uh, from the years when I lived in America. So that's something that I I would definitely like to connect with you about. Um, But in terms of unemployment, um, this is what I'll say. An older friend of mine uh, mentioned to me Uh, because he was going through unemployment and I was going through unemployment um, and he was telling me, you know, the way that you view unemployment is view that as work in itself. View it as a nine-to-five job. You wake up early in the morning, start editing your resumes, start sending out cover letters, just just pump those out, uh, email people, try to network as much as possible and do that day in and day out and that becomes your work in your unemployment. And that helped bring about a, a perspective shift. And okay, that is another way to approach uh, work and unemployment. But I do want to say that it is an unfortunate uh, place to be in, and it's a very tough place to be in, especially during this time where money is such a scarce thing, and it's very, very hard uh, to land a job that is secure. So my heart goes out for you in in that way. But even in our unemployment, as we work in applying for jobs, sending out resumes, we do experience the toil of work, the toil of work in which we don't experience the fruit of our labors. We send those applications out and we get rejected. We send them out and we don't hear a response. And in that way, the toil is a reality for those in work and for those who are also out of work, looking for work. Um, But yeah, I'd love to connect with you as well uh, to talk more about um, where you're at and with the whole question about the immigration status as well. Uh, But thank you for your questions, Um, and at this time, I'll uh, hand it off to Brian to lead us in a time of reflection.